Well, I want to thank Pastor Lamar and the church leaders for allowing me the privilege to fill in this morning. Uh, we, uh, like all of you, were so, uh, Karen and I are so grateful for him and Lynn, God leading them here, and the whole pastoral staff team, and the elders as well. So, as Gregory mentioned, my name is Rob Mayen. I know a number of you. We uh, uh, moved here years ago. Our kids grew up in this church. I'm uh, currently on staff with an organization called The Navigators. Um, if you're not familiar with them, you can go to navigators.org, find out way more than you want to know. So, uh, but we're a Christian organization. I'm a pastor with them, and our tagline is to know Christ, to make him known, and to help others do the same. So the focus on people coming to faith and then being the beginning of generations uh, everyone helping someone else is kind of what we focus on. I've got a couple of pictures of uh, me and my wife, Karen. Um, we've, uh, yep, that's us. Um, we've been married for just over six years. Both of us were widowed in 2011. Many of you who are uh, long time knew my first wife, Charlene. And, uh, but uh, we're really glad uh, God brought us together. She's actually the more interesting of the two of us. She and her first husband were missionaries in Africa for over 20 years. She even went to high school there before they got married. And uh, so if you ever get a chance, she's a great person to talk to. They were in Ghana for 10 years and Kenya for 10 years. A lot going on. My first wife and I, uh, Charlene, as I mentioned, uh, we're members here. We raised our kids here. In fact, I was looking over. I've got a uh, uh, picture, I think, there of our kids and grandkids with us. That's some of them. That's about half our kids and grandkids. But um, all, all the kids on my side uh, served in this church at one time or another and uh, uh, are still connected. I don't know if my daughter Kelsey is here this morning. Oh, there she is. Kelsey in Austin and is... Uh, Lila there? Oh, Lila. So they have uh, one child. So I have one granddaughter by uh, them. And I was in a class, about 100 people. And she said, I hope she doesn't disturb. And uh, Kelsey said, I hope Lila doesn't disturb anybody. I said, don't worry. If she disturbs the class, I'll ask the class to leave. So, uh, (laughs) you know, if you're grandparents, you get that. You understand how much... um, yeah, Karen is an amazing person. She's also full-time with the Navigators, and uh, she has a fascinating ministry with uh, first-generation immigrants, both here and in Denver. And, uh, yeah, God's really used her in a lot of ways. I'm really grateful for her, her bringing us together. We also have uh, some overseas responsibilities. So these are pictures of a couple of trips uh, we had made to Africa and uh, of course, the last couple of years, we haven't gone anywhere, but uh, we hope God opens those doors again. It's kind of interesting in thinking about how life takes you through stuff. I just had a birthday, and uh, I think it's important for you all to know uh, how highly respected I am by my family and peers. So I brought some of these uh, birthday cards. <laughs> can't show you that one. Okay. Um, this one, this one I really like, and it started off so encouraging. Once upon a time, a very special person was born who was destined to change the world. Calm down, it's not you, it's Jesus. But I thought he'd want you to have a happy birthday, so that was a good one. 
<laughs> Here's a good one. These are, I get these from my kids. On a birthday, remember, all good and perfect gifts are from God. That's nice, James 1. And this card with no money is from me. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> this one, Doug and Beverly Dale. You're a good example of what happens when people eat right, exercise, and really take care of themselves. They get old anyway. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. Uh, <laughs> this one was good. Jerry Bluer said, Happy birthday to one of the greatest people I've ever met. Now, how can that go wrong? Happy birthday to one of the greatest people I've ever met. To be honest, though, I'm not super outgoing and don't meet many people. <laughs> oh, well. Jerry and Dave. Uh, <laughs> this probably is... One um, I shouldn't read, but says, I guess at your age, the first thing you do when you wake up is go to the bathroom. My advice is get out of bed first. Yeah, thanks for that. Good counsel and something I'm certainly trying to apply. And uh, what's this one? Oh, yeah. Uh, remember when there were only three TV channels? Remember when music came on vinyl? Remember when the only computer you had in your home was maybe a calculator? Remember when people used to give you presents instead of stupid cards? Yeah, that's very nice. And I got this one from my son. I th yeah, Kevin says, I was going to write you a check for your birthday, but I was afraid you might do something foolish, like try to cash it. Yeah. So that's, that's how people think of me, and you kind of... Got an idea of that. Birthdays, celebration. I really like funny cards. So if you ever want to send me a funny card, you're more than welcome to do so. We're going to be looking at Psalm 63. You can go ahead and open your Bible to it if you want. Uh, the translation I may use may be just a little bit different, but it should be close. Uh, I would say over the last four or five years, God's really used this psalm in my life a lot. And what's interesting to me in looking at this psalm is even the header on the psalm is a challenge. I put up a, a picture here of uh, the wilderness in Israel. But the header reads, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah, desert or wilderness. And that's kind of interesting. We know of two times when David spent a lot of time in the desert. One was when Saul was chasing him, trying to kill him. So God had anointed David as king as a young man, and he had some people that were with him, and he was faithfully serving Saul. But Saul developed just this paranoia, really a mental illness, it looks like. And he became convinced that David was a threat, tried to kill him, and then chased him all over the de desert for months and months. So that was one time. That was early in his life. Later in his life, when he was much older... One of his sons, Absalom, rebelled against him, took, uh, declared himself king, and chased David and the people that were loyal to him out of Jerusalem and into the desert. So we don't really know which time uh, was the time when David write, wrote this psalm. But I really appreciate the fact that David did do that, that he had made this, uh, he let us know when, what the context was of him writing this. Regardless of which time it was, it was a difficult time in his life, wasn't it? And uh, I think one of the things that challenges me, did you already show both of those pictures of the desert? 
the second one there, he might have been in a place like this when he wrote this psalm. But one of the things that challenges me about this is that David was deeply devoted and committed to the Lord, even though he was distantly separated from the temple. Now, the temple was much more even than churches to us today. The temple was uh, the center of worship, the sacrifice. He hadn't experienced that in months. But his walk with the Lord was deep, personal, growing wherever he was. So it wasn't tied to that. He was 24-7, 365. He was following the God. There's, man, there are a lot of things that are interesting, but when I was looking at Psalm 63, one of the verses that came to mind is James 4.8. James 4.8, part of the verse says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's a great truth, isn't it? That if we will lean into the Lord, the Lord leans into us. Even though he's working, he always reinforces and affirms He'll make quiet times worthwhile. He'll make your time in church or in a small group Bible study worthwhile. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So as we look at Psalm 63, we're going to try to look at uh, seven apps that you can see in this. Seven principles, seven applications in terms of uh, uh, drawing near to God. Now I've been working on memorizing Psalm 63 and so I'm going to give it a shot. You guys can uh, cut me some slack. I've got my parachute here. These are, this is the passage itself. One of the ways when I memorize it, now this is a short psalm. It's only 11 verses. But I try to remember the first letter of the first word all the way down. So it goes O-I-B-I-M-O-B-M-T-T-B. And that helps me remember it. So if you're ever memorizing a little passage... Something like that, O-I-B-I. Of course, then sometimes I still don't get it. But. So, Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1 is one of my favorite. It says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You can take that screen off for a sec if you want. Uh, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. What did I say? B, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. And then uh, uh, the next section starts out, um, now, oh, my soul, yeah, M, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Therefore, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Uh, my soul clings to you. What's next? Your right hand upholds me. I should have been able to remember that. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And then he says, they who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down into the depth of the earth. They will fall to the sword and be given as food to the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. Those who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of fools or liars will be silenced. Now, not great, but not too bad. Still doesn't change the fact I couldn't find my car keys this morning, but... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd encourage you to do that. I've been thinking about this psalm every day recently. So we're going to look at some apps here. What do we see? Well, app number one is we need to seek God. Seek is one of my favorite words in the Bible. I love it. I, in fact, I think the first verse I ever memorized uh, right around when I gave my life to Christ in college was in Jeremiah 29 where God said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And one of the things that challenged me about that is I feel like most of us, myself included, kind of dabble at seeking God. You know, we do it from time to time. And, but seeking him with all my heart, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? What are some other verses I like on that? Uh, oh, Psalm, what's this? Wait, oh, yeah, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Did I have another one up there? Oh, 27.8, I really like. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face I will seek. Now, that's a great one because God says that to every one of us. He says, seek my face. Now, the question is, how do you respond? You bet, Lord, I'll do it. Or not now, but I'll try to get to it. The other thing that challenged me, I was looking at this because I, I like all these seek verses. Psalm 27, 8 is, do we seek his face or his hand? We're good at seeking his hand, huh? Do this, help me with this. You know, we come with, but how about seeking his face? You know, just wanting to know him. I can remember my oldest daughter, Christy, when she was about two years old, she was pretty active and uh, I was walking her around trying to get her settled down. And as we walked by the TV, I stopped and I was looking at the TV and she was talking to me. And I was responding and kind of listening. And she took her hand and went like that. She wanted me to look at her face when we talked. You know, are we seeking the face of God? Boy, that's, that's challenging for me. Got to think about that. Seek. There's lots of others Matthew 6, 6, 33 is another good one. Hebrews eleven six, Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come? Behold the face of God. Tony Evans, pastor in uh, Dallas, said, seek God and you'll find your purpose in the process. See, a lot of times we try to figure out our purpose. Well, your, your purpose is to seek God. And then his purposes will fall into place as you do that. This is the other uh, quote by him on this I liked. He said, you can save yourself a lot of time and energy and frustration and irritation and all-out mess by simply devoting yourself to seeking God. Yeah. Get that done. You know, it's kind of uh, working on the basis of priorities. We work a lot with uh, workplace people, and one of the keys in get, having a productive day is doing first things first. So seek God first. And then in this one, it not only says, I seek you, but earnestly I seek you. And I looked up earnestly. Uh, it means sincere and intense conviction, serious, fervent, purposeful, determined. Opposite is frivolous, half-hearted. You know, and, it, and we, um, so we have seasons in our life. At this season in our lives, are we earnestly? Seeking the Lord. 
Or are we a little more passionate about other things? And then to think about the fact that he says this, seek, thirst, all the rest. While he's in the desert, I, a note I put to myself is that David's focus was not on his circumstances, but on his relationship with God. That's hard for us, isn't it? Our circumstances kind of get right in our face. And we're thinking about this or that or the other. But here's G, uh, David, life or death circumstances, right? But he's thinking about seeking God. And even as they're huddled in a canyon like the one we saw up there, he doesn't know how soon Saul will come, what will happen. But he's not focused on his circumstances. He's focused on his relationship. A lot we could think. Oh, one of the things I want to mention, that word earnest there is interesting in Hebrew because it can also be translated early. Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. And I thought that's pretty neat because that's kind of an indication of priority, isn't it? I get up early to seek God. Psalm 5.3, David said, in the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And then, of course, we have Jesus' example in Mark 1.35. And in the morning, a great while before day, he arose, went to a lonely place, and there he prayed. That's earnest, isn't it? That's uh, a commitment to this. Oh, man, we could just stay on that. But you're already worried. How is he going to get through six when he won't leave one <laughs> or seven? All right. Application two. We need to seek God as one. Number two is we need to see God. I love this. I have seen you in the uh, sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And uh, th so there are two ways we can understand that. One possibility is like Isaiah 6, that he had a vision of the Lord Jesus uh, in the temple. That might be. But I, I think, and I, I think we see it from the context, that it's not so much a physical appearance of the Lord to him as it was a sense of a deep spiritual encounter where he walks away with a better understanding of who God is, what he's like, what he wants of me. And see, that's something that's available to all of us. We need to have those times. I'm going to read a quote at the end about we need moments of great nearness where God speaks to us. So, see God. How do we do that? And I had mentioned Psalm 27.4, one thing. Uh, this verse, 27.4, one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate on his temple. I was reading that one time and I was thinking, what David's saying is, if God said, he, uh, the Lord Jesus appears in a dream, says, I'll give you one thing, any one thing you ask for yourself. So you don't have to ask for world peace or healing. One thing for yourself. Anything you want. You know? And what does David say? You think of all the things. One thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate. You know the one thing, Lord, I want more than anything else? If you're going to give me one thing, it's to see you more clearly love you more deeply and personally. Wow. It's no wonder in Acts 13 that David's called the man after God's own heart by God. So we need to see him. I, uh, you know that song, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus? How's it go? Turn, uh, so 
my wife has an amazing voice. She comes from a very musical family. Her mom got a degree in music, and her dad was uh, on staff at a church. They would sing. Her sisters, uh, I think, got a degree in piano. They're all amazing musicians. Um, that's not why we got married. I, you know, it's just sad with me. So I tell people I can't even lip sync in tune. So, so, so I'm not going to sing this song. But it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you know that was written by a blind woman? Helen Lemel. She had gradually been losing her sight as she got older. And uh, she had a friend who'd read an article that just so challenged her spiritually that she read this article to Helen. And one sentence in the article especially stood out to Helen, and that was, turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look at him. And she started thinking about that, and then she just wrote this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. With all that's going on in our country, there's never been a greater need for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And just not, and again, no matter what circumstances we're facing, they're not as stressful, not as scary, not as difficult as what David was facing when he read this. We need to seek Jesus. We need to see Jesus. Verse 3 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. We need to shine. We need to shine for God, don't we? Seek, see, shine, glorify him. But before he says glorify, he says, I'll glorify you and I'll praise you. But before he says that, he says, because your love is better than life. It's an interesting sentence, isn't it? So what does that mean? What does it mean when he says, your love is better than life? I, I wrote down a couple of thoughts when I was having my quiet time on this. And if you've got some different thoughts, let me know, because I'm, I'm sure there's more to this. But I was, uh, one thing I wrote down is maybe David's saying it's better to know God's, live and uh, know God's love and die than to never experience his love and live. Your love is better than, and see, for him, this wasn't rhetorical. Because he didn't know if Saul was going to kill him. I mean, the odds were against him, right? He didn't know how this was going to go out. And as he thought about whether he was going to live or die, he said, you know, Lord, your love's better to me than life. The other thing I thought came to mind, I felt like, is David is saying that as precious as life is, the love of God is even more precious yeah, David had, David had this deep appreciation of God's love. In fact, uh, the phrase unfailing love is used 26 times in the book of Psalms. And there, David had all these different descriptors, all these different ways of describing God's love. Unfailing love, great love, everlasting love, steadfast love, abounding love, enduring love, joyous love, sacrificial love, perfect love, unconditional love, over and over again. He just never thought, uh, stopped thinking about how much God loved him. And that's really important in our life because we don't always get a lot of love from the world we live in. But we get all the love we need from Jesus. 
And because of that, we can respond differently to other people and to circumstances. Because Jesus is able to kind of fill that love bucket in our lives. Max Lucado put it this way. He said, God loves you simply because he has chosen to do so. He loves you when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you, divorce you, ignore you, but God will love you always, no matter what. This is his sentiment. And then he quotes Romans 9.25. I'll call nobodies and make them somebodies. I'll call the unloved and make them beloved. Romans 9.25 in the message. And then he says, this is his promise. Jeremiah 31.3, New Living. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And Max says, do you know what else uh, this means? That you have a deep well of love from which to draw. When you find it hard to love, then you need to drink. Drink deeply. Drink daily. But it's interesting how central God's love, David's appreciation of God's love is to how he responds in life. So, seek, see, shine. Man, there's a lot more we could say there. He, he, he uses phrases like, my lips will glorify you, I'll praise you, I'll lift up my hands. You know, I celebrate, I honor. Chuck Swindoll, you ever read a book by Chuck Swindoll? He's written a bunch of books, they're really good. He said, how do we glorify God? By cultivating the habit of including the Lord God in every segment of our lives. This is to be a constant and um, conscious thought. Habits are formed that way. It may help to write the question on several three-by-five cards. Is God getting the glory? And put this card at your office, in your car, at your home. Am I glorifying God? Is he getting the glory? That's all about that. You know, uh, we're... uh, We're a culture that really wants the attention due to us, the appreciation due to us. David was really concerned that God get the glory. So glorify. Number four is another one that really challenged me. Uh, Satisfied with God. Shine for God, satisfied with God. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with joyful lips, my, or yeah, with joyful lips, my mouth will praise you. And then uh, six, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the night watches. Anybody ever wake up in the night? Think of David. You know, every night's a risk, right? You never know if the enemy is creeping up. And he says, I, uh, when I'm lying on my, uh, on my bed, of course, it wouldn't have been a literal bed, you know, whatever he's got out there. When I'm lying on this, I always remember you. And then when I wake up, all through the night, I just think about you. I don't think about Saul. I don't think about how wrong things have gone. I don't think about how difficult life is for me now. He says, I remember you. I think about you. I like this. My soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. So we're coming up on Thanksgiving. You know, what was, what was David eating while he was in the wilderness. Probably not great, huh? I'm currently on a diet. This is the first time this particular jacket has seen my body in recent months. Um, It's a very simple diet. If I like it, I can't have it. That's kind of how it works. (laughs) The good thing about the diet food is it tastes just about the same as the box it comes in, so I get those extra calories. 
But my, yeah, I think when you're hungry, when you crave stuff, you know, I'm getting ready to uh, go on a work trip and I'll graze my way across the Northwest on this. But, you know, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. Yeah. To focus on that, as focused as we are on food and stuff and restaurant, my soul will be satisfied. And really, you could insert there, my soul will be satisfied with you as with the best food um, meal I could possibly imagine. Even here in the desert, I'd rather be satisfied with you than get the kind of food we really need. Man, satisfied with God. There's so much on that. I'm trying to figure out... Um, Solomon really warned us not to try to get satisfied with other things. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Yeah, but regardless of our circumstances, we can find that satisfaction and contentment. I put this uh, quote by John Piper, pastor in Minneapolis. He said, uh, yeah, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's pretty good. Maybe next time I'll take his name off, put my name up there. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with his will for us, with our relationship with him. Yeah, that's worth remembering. Satisfied. Number five is sing. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Two phrases and I, I spent a good bit of time when I was thinking about this personally on because you are my help. You know, a lot. Of some of us don't like admitting when we need help. The others, others of us get frustrated when we don't get help. David, he needed a lot of things, but he just counted on God being his help. Huh? You're going to help me through this. And because you're my help, there are a bunch of verses on God's help. I don't know if I put some on a screen or not, but... Psalm 46, 1 is one I really like. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in tr trouble. And then another one is Psalm 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my heart or my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's good to have some help verses in your pocket, in your heart, so you can kind of pull those out. Realize God can always help. But then, of course, the big thing here is singing. I told you, I don't bring a lot to the table when it comes to this. I do, I'll, like I didn't do it today because um, David was looking at his son, who did an amazing job. How old's your son? Seven? Yeah. Eleven. Oh, eleven. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. That was really awesome. To... I, I was thinking about this. I w you know, David is speaking literally. I sing in the shadow of your wings, this expression for a sense of closeness, even though he's so far from the temple. And I, I wrote down, picture David and his men in the wilderness in Israel. They're in some canyon like that one we showed you. They're huddled around campfires. You know, and I don't know what they're talking about. They're tired. They don't know what's ahead of them, when the next encounter, uh, hit and run with Saul and his army will be. 
David's sitting down there and he sits for a while. Then he gets over, gets up, goes over to his baggage and pulls out his Kinnor, K-I-N-N-O-R, which is Hebrew for a Gibson G45 acoustical guitar. <laughs> no, that's not right. But it was the precursor of a guitar. It was a portable handheld, sometimes called a lyre, a 10-string instrument. And he goes over, pulls that out of his bag, walks back over to the fire, maybe sits on a rock, kind of leans over and starts playing this. Of course, all the guys know. I mean, uh, already David is famous as a musician, as a singer. He had calmed, God had used him to calm the heart of Saul. So he's, and uh, you can just see, just he's playing. And then, you know, conversation kind of quiets down. People start drifting over. The guys start drifting over, listening to him sing to himself and play. And then one of the guys, maybe Abishai, uh, there were a couple we know that were uh, traveling with him, maybe Abishai or Ahimelech or one of the guys, say, David, why, why don't you play that song that uh, you wrote as a kid? And uh, so he starts singing quietly, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. He lets me rest in meadows green, leads me beside the quiet stream. He keeps on giving life to me, helps me to do what honors him the most. And they just listen as he sings to the Lord. And then maybe David looked up and said, here's one I just wrote for what's going on with us right now. And he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and barren land that has no water. So that music, God can use that, huh? We're grateful for our leadership here. What are, I was, if we had a little more, you know, I'd like to ask what are songs that genuinely touch you deeply and personally? One for me is Give Me Jesus by Fernando Ortega, who used to be in our church. One recently, in fact, I was going to play it, but I, I ran out of time. That's really spoken to me is this song by Matt Redman called One Day. Man, oh man. And then it, it blends with the choruses when we all get to heaven. What a day. But if you haven't heard that, you ought to listen to it. God can use songs and we can. And again, it's not just about what happens in here. My wife is good with that, but even me is listening to a song as part of quiet time and then just singing quietly, sing. Number six is stay close. It's another, you know, every verse here is so good. Number six, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now I put some stuff up there about cling and what that means, but it's such a vivid image. Flick to the next slide. I, uh, you know, when you think of cling, what do you think of? These were a couple of pictures came to mind for me. One is this little girl clinging to her mom. And it says, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Actually, you can also translate that your right hand holds me fast. So as we cling to God, he clings to us. That's such a great feeling. The reason I put the other, that's me and Austin, who's back there with Kelsey, and my dog, Jake. Jake died about a month ago. Um, we got Jake about two years before Charlene died. So it was just kind of me and Jake in the house for several years there. And uh, when I couldn't sleep at night, I'd go downstairs, sit on the couch, 
And Jake would always get up, climb up on the couch, get into my lap just like he was there. And then he'd put his head down and then he'd just sigh. He, when he was sick this last few months, same thing. He would sit into my, uh, get in my, I'd go to, actually I would go down to him. I could hear him rustling around and I could tell he was in pain. So I'd go down, sit with him and I'd just rub my side. You know, the great thing about Labradors is there's nothing they want more than just to be close. Yeah. You know, I wonder if that's true in terms of Jesus and us. If he just wants us to be close and he wants us to want to be close. You know? So when, my, when Jake sighed, it wasn't, oh man, I got to do this again. No, the sigh was, okay, now I'm where I want to be and where I belong. How are we doing at clinging to the Lord? A lot we can think of there. I think I've got another slide, but skip it and go to the la uh, last point, which is support from God. These are interesting verses. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will, and they say, well, that's kind of harsh. Well, I don't think David is saying that's what I want. He's saying that's what's going to happen. But the thing I like about it is David didn't have a Hollywood view of war, did he? Uh, what was that Mel Gibson movie about Scotland? Braveheart, yeah. I can remember when I watched that, and I was just so struck by the battle scenes. They were so brutal, and it was so painful for the... And see, that's what... David does, isn't a Hollywood movie star. He was a warrior. He was a soldier. And he knew that for God to work in here, it was going to mean that people die. Yeah, but I love verse 11, but the king will rejoice. Kind of a faith statement, isn't it? Doesn't look like it. But he's confident that he'll get the support he needs from the Lord. Psalm 1014 says, uh, but you do see, you take notice of our trouble and suffering and you're always ready to help. The helpless commit themselves to you. You have always helped the needy. I... Uh, we said, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There's some other stuff up there I'm just going to skip over. Psalm, uh, is it 75? Yeah. Uh, starts in 25. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing I desire besides you. Then verse 28 says, but I have made the nearness of my God my good. I've made the nearness of my God my good. Charles Spurgeon said, your elbow, elbow may be touching the person in the seat next to you, but that person is not so near to you as God. And then I love the statement. It could have been about Psalm 63 by Augustine. He said, to fall in love with the Lord is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. And to find him is the greatest achievement. So let's just remember in all our doing that we want to be close. And boy, we want to model what we see David doing here. Let me ask you to just close your eyes. We're not going to have an invitation, but I would ask you to pray. And what I'd ask you to pray is um, to pray what uh, David prayed, prayed, what Moses prayed. Lord, I want to know you. I want to be close to you. Lord, will you show me what steps I can take 
And you know, if you're a person in here who has a real question about whether or not you even have a relationship with God, then come up afterward and we'll have some staff here talking to you. But all of us need to be moving forward, regardless of age. What's something I need to be doing to move forward in my relationship with God? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for David and his faith. Wow. Faith and joy in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation. We thank you, Lord, for how he focused on you and not on his circumstances. And Lord, I pray for each one here, just looking around this room, Lord, pray that each one here would have a sense that you're speaking to them personally from this song. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.